0: Our guest today is Jonathan Rednor, a visionary leader and entrepreneur who has made significant contributions to the world of football in the Gulf Coast region. Jonathan is the president and CEO of Crescent City Football Club, which he founded in 2015 and has been leading successfully for over seven years because that's basic math. Additionally, he serves as the Vice President of Operations for the Gulf Coast Premier League, which he co-founded in 2016. With his passion for football and his business acumen, who knew, Jonathan has been instrumental in promoting and developing football at both the grassroots and professional levels in the greater New Orleans area. His innovative ideas and dedication have earned him widespread recognition and respect in the industry. We also have John. There you go. So that's, so, that's what ChatGPT can do for you. That's good thank I Could you. It.
1: I love it. Could you do... Nick, could you do one for me for
0: homework for our next pod, <laughs> please? Absolutely. I'll, I love it. I'll see what the crack is. But, yeah, these are the new levels of professionalism we're reaching into. I love um, it, yes. Hi, John. <laughs> hi, John. Hey. What's up, Nick? Okay. Thanks for having me, guys. No worries. Thank you for joining us. Um, I encountered you on Twitter spasmodically just saying, oh, in my world, all the right things. Um, I reached out to John and said, do you know this guy? He said, yeah, I've been speaking to him for ages. Like, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, so, um, Thanks for joining us. This is going to be, as these things increasingly seem to be, just three middle-aged men shouting at the sky saying that soccer is broken in America and we're trying to fix it. So um, first off, Jonathan, is it Jonathan or John? I never really know when Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan's fine. Yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan. Okay, sweet. So, Johnny. just tell us a little bit about your story, how you ended up um, thinking that setting up a soccer club was a good idea and whether or not you still think it was a good idea.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the big question, right? Um, yeah, I guess it all started, you know, once I, I, I grew up, in New Orleans, you know, outside of New Orleans. And I, I was, you know, a basketball, an American football kid. That's what I kind of grew up as. And it wasn't until high school that I really was truly introduced to the sport. Um, a good friend of mine was a really good player and, um, you know, kind of fell in love with it from there. Uh, 2000, <clears throat> 2008, I moved back home from San Francisco. and And my friend was like, hey, you want to come help? you know, help me coach this, uh, you know, this high school team, which is our alma mater East Jefferson High School. I went to go do it, and I just kind of fell in love with the whole, you know, being involved and, and getting to learn it. And I kind of started to, you know, inc- increase my knowledge of the game. And then I started to really dive into um, <clears throat> trying to understand exactly, you know, how the system works. One thing that I kept running into in Louisiana soccer was, you know, especially at the high school level, that kids would simply just hang up their boots when they were done playing uh, after high school. High school was seen as the Mecca. Um, and then I just tried to make sense of all that. And so once I did 2009, 2010 started to d- dive in a little bit more, you know, found the New Orleans Jessers, which was our local club, started to understand the league that they were in and just the level and just kind of slowly but surely just started to realize that, you know, we're not really tapping into, you know, the, the potential that really we could, if we were to, to put, um, a little more emphasis on, on creating a, you know, a grassroots approach to, to grow in the game, uh, 2000, 11, 2012 was when I reached out to the now current president of GCPL, Jeremy Polk and I was just kind of berating him, saying like, hey, man, like, can we create some type of U23 thing in Louisiana? Um, And slowly but surely, I was, you know, I was brought on to the Louisiana Soccer Association um, as the adult commissioner. We kind of created a state cup in 2013. Uh, In 2014, we started the Louisiana Premier League, and then that's kind of when I know thought to myself well you know i tried to get involved with the jesters unfortunately it didn't work out so i was like you know I, i think i can actually uh create one of these clubs if i get enough people to support us 2015 got it off the ground um and was was doing well and i tried to partner up with a local group called the louisiana fire um and then when i did that they were basically like well why don't you do that under the louisiana fire name which is which i did um louisiana fire joined the gcpl and i coached that team for two seasons Um, And then, you know, just basically kind of ended it there. And then that's when I kind of re-picked up, you know, I picked up the Crescent City um, football club again back in 2017 and 18. And then in 2019 is when I partnered up with uh, a gentleman by the name of P.J. Lynch, um, who was playing with the Matagwa New Orleans group at the time, who I was kind of helping here and there with their U.S. Open Cup run. Uh, And we just kind of got it off the ground in 2019. And then, of course, you know, COVID hit in 2020, kind of, you know, sputtered some plans um, and then after that, you know, we, you know, we joined the GCPL for 2021 and then slowly, but surely been, been building. Um, but yeah, the GCPL was something that we got off the ground in 2016 after the Louisiana Premier League had success. And we started to grow interest from uh, a group out of Biloxi, Mississippi, called Biloxi City FC that changed into Port City eventually, then AFC Mobile. And then the rest is pretty much history. I think we have it on our website that people want to follow up. Um, but that's pretty much, that's pretty much kind of where it is. And then today, you know, getting a chance to, to meet individuals like john and, and a few others throughout the country um, you know not only is it great to hear a different perspective on how their clubs are are you know facing their challenges which you know each each region definitely has their own um it, it just offers a lot of insight on on what they have done to to improve themselves and what they're doing and i think john you know sings the same tune as me when it comes to you know community club um is 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 where truly the grassroots level needs to start focusing on to where we can actually start, you know, building the pillars and, and, you know, growing those roots deep in the, in the community. So, therefore, you know, 10 to 15 years from now, we are no longer needed because it's, it is something that is taken off. There's other other groups involved. And we're just showing up on Saturday or Sunday with a beer in our hands and enjoying you know, what we helped get off the ground. And I think that's, you know, overall kind of what I'm hoping to do with Crescent city. So it's definitely. It's getting there, but, you know, there's a lot of challenges, um, you know, but enjoying it so far. But I'll complain about it every day. Don't worry. My wife, my wife's tired of hearing me complaining about it.
0: <laughs> Excellent. My favorite bit about all that, and there was a lot to unpick there, but my favorite bit is that I'm already getting the sense that I can just ask a question of one of you. And then I'll get five minutes to myself to go around and do my actual day job. And then you know, we'll come back and I'll ask another question. Pretend I've been listening. It's great. Um, <laughs> my John. My John. Um yes, my Your next. dealings with Jonathan. Hello. Um, your dealings with Jonathan and and Crescent City and Gold Coast, both as on personal level, but also from the league perspective. Um, what have you been? Your, what, what have been your learnings from their experiences? Uh, Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think that I think the, I think the GCPL yeah. and the Midwest Premier League actually. Um, very aligned we did not compare operations manuals but i think we both operate similarly um you know in that summer schedule uh sort of a hybrid of college and some some clubs that maybe a little less college players um i think i think everything and i've talked to jeremy as well that he mentioned um i yeah i think there's a lot of things that align with what we're doing with what they're doing um as part of the uh as he mentioned as part of the regional premier leagues um alliance affiliation i forget what we call ourselves but that's that's been a huge benefit to talk to people like jonathan and you know hey this this thing comes up how do you deal with that and and we have a a reference you guys um the cool thing jonathan you started uh a little before but then you kind of got crescent city started and then what you know within a year you were like "Uh, i'm gonna start my own league kind of thing and uh, (laughs) exactly I, i guess i was accidentally involved with the same um Sort of process when we got the Midwest Premier League going. Um, before Nick falls asleep, when you and I nerd out on soccer politics, um, the, the branding of Crescent City—it's also on your website. Because contrary to the belief, I do some research. Uh, I didn't know it was called the Crescent City until I looked at your website. How have you found? your supporters in the community to like identify with, Oh yeah, yeah, we, that's what we are. That's a perfect name for us. Or has that been you had to educate people there too?
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, you know, and I, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of that of, you know, if you're going to be a club, be a club for the community and, and, you know, don't come out and just be like, you know, we're city elite, Pro FC or something like that. It doesn't mean anything to the local community. And so Crescent City, you know, we are the Crescent City. That's, you know, one of the nicknames for New Orleans. Um, I've always kind of fell in love with that, you know, with that name. Uh, it just resonated with me. And then one of the things, and I, and I probably should put this on the website, but one of the one of the popular graphic designs or art designs that we have down here is the New Orleans Sewage and Waterboard Meter. So basically that's the, the, the Crescent with the stars. It kind of resemblance it resembles that. But there's a lot, you know, a lot of local, you know, boutique shops. They always have like either a coaster with the with the um New Orleans, you know, sewage and waterboard meter or a doormat or something of that nature where it ref it, because it's just unique to us in New Orleans. So that's kind of how the logo design came up. And um the colors, you know, kind of represent more of a cooler nightshade of, you know, how New Orleans is, laissez-faire. Um and so that, you know, I think a lot of people have definitely resonated with that. You know, a lot of people buy our merchandise. A lot of people give us compliments about, you know, our branding um, and our name. And even with USL NOLA coming about, you know, you kind of hear people chime in, you like, Oh, they should name themselves Crescent city football club or soccer club. And then somebody else will kind of come in and say, well, there's already a club named that, you know? And so it's like, it's definitely, it's definitely, I think very, um, very much. So a community um, branding for sure. And, you know, hopefully, you know, as we continue to grow, we do a much better job of, of being a little more involved with you know adding more and more um, new Orleans kind of unique uh, flair to to what we're doing. So, but yeah, for sure. Crescent city was something that a lot of people have definitely resonated with. And it's been very helpful for our growth
1: for sure. So you also, um, I think you and I had this talk. Maybe 10 days ago, maybe more. Um. Or maybe I don't know, but uh, you also recently brought on uh, somebody to help with—I forget the title—community outreach director. Yep. Uh, talk a little bit about that and what that, besides reading the press release, sure. talk about how how that idea came about. Yeah,
2: sure. I mean, it, it's always been something with with me personally. You know, we set up Crescent City as a five hundred one c three because we wanted—I wanted to be board, uh, you know, driven, and you know, our our funding should come from more community, you know, efforts of whether we're you know doing a fundraiser or whether partners or sponsors are, are sponsoring us you know me personally i think you know making money off of gate and concessions and uh, selling merchandise is, is definitely a big thing that a lot of grassroots clubs should focus on but you know we haven't really been as true to our mission in the early years of you know building a, a board of individuals who are representing not only soccer football but also the community of new orleans so you know um Lowry, who who we just recently brought on, Lowry Cruz, uh, he has an organization called 18th Ward Sports Club, and basically their mission is very much so getting into the nooks and crannies of of, of New Orleans and the neighborhoods, and, and mostly inner city kids, um, and providing some type of outlet, you know, after school programs, in school programs, things like that, and it's, you know for all sports. But he's a big soccer fan. Um, and you know, we had a chance to work with him last year. I've had a chance to speak to him a few times. And I think, you know, what he personally is is looking to to do with 18th ward, I think it aligns a lot with what Crescent City's trying to do. And so 18th Ward, you know, being more so focused on the younger kids, um, you know, teenage play uh teenage age kids and down, and we're kind of more focused on the older age kids and, and adults and things like that. I think it just it definitely aligns, and he's very much so. Committed to utilizing Crescent city and and really building out uh, something that, you know, we, we definitely put our, you know, put a stamp on our community involvement into the get into uh, New Orleans. And that's, that's why I personally was very happy to bring him on, because I do feel as though that he has a much better understanding um, with
1: that. And that is something that we truly needed to improve on for sure. So, in uh, again, I think, I think our seasons align um you guys are crescent city only plays in the summer correct you don't play for for now yeah correct okay so good for now what's the what's the next like growth step then uh you add the community outreach what's the next step for crescent city um yeah for sure um three, building years. out building out the
2: board you know building out the board is something that i'm still working on is a lot of individuals that actually reached out to, to us after i sent out that kind of presidential statement i guess you would say um, asking how they can get involved, and I actually have a few meetings this week with some people, so that's a really good step. Uh, but definitely the footballing aspect, and you know, I've, I've reached out to a local youth club here, um, trying to work out some type of competitive competitive partnership because they do have a, a stronghold on the competitive, um, you know, outlook for New Orleans, and you know, they're tied into the Louisiana TDP MLS Next uh, program as well. And you know, so I feel as though that that would be the the natural progression is to kind of work with them. Um, but, yeah, you know, improving our footballing um, development and things like that, you know, being more available and inclusive to, you know, players that are looking to take on the next stage of, of football. Um, I have me one of my personal um, beliefs is that I do not think that the U-19 game should be considered youth. Um, I, I do not like seeing U-19 and USYS, you know, regionals or nationals. I just do not think that U-19 is a youth level um, and, it, and it shouldn't be treated as such. And then one thing that we run to here in Louisiana um, is, again, high school is seen as a mecca. So these kids, they don't see anything beyond that. So they hang up their boots. But also the the club play that they, you know, they, they play in. Um, it's very laissez-faire when it comes to the competition. Yeah, you might come across a U-19 team that's strong. So they're putting forth a little more effort. But, you know, these kids would much rather go to their you know oh i have to go to prom or I have to go do this and this and that not to say kids shouldn't but you know there's a lot of excuses of why they can't participate with their club and i do feel as though that it's really nothing there for them to be excited about so me so what gcpl is hoping to do where crescent city will fold into this is that we're looking to create a u19 uh, division that will take place during the fall but it will be all of our senior team senior clubs uh basically putting forth the effort to kind of play into that so basically we're grooming these kids into becoming gcl gcpl players or you know obviously helping them get into college and i think a lot of the, the local colleges around the gulf south that we've reached out to and spoken with would would love to have something like that so where they can actually monitor and keep an eye on it um and they're you know it's it's something that they feel would be more beneficial than having to you know figure out if they can make it to regionals or if they can or if they can't if they haven't heard about a kid and a lot of these college coaches are truthful. They're like, man, we if we don't get, you know, the video and, and constant communication, we're really not going to follow up on that kid and this and that. So, you know, hopefully the GCPO, we can kind of create something that makes it a little more accessible for the college coaches to follow, but also gives a little bit more meaning behind the U19 level. And I'm saying all of this to kind of come to say that Crescent City will be looking to put a U19 team in. And that's kind of where I feel as though during the offseason of GCPO, where uh, Crescent City can kind of continue on developing and building out the football um the footballing aspect of our club, which I hopefully, you know, is something that we can kind of slowly but surely grow into a, a very strong senior program to where we can participate in US Open Cup qualifiers and be competitive. Or if we do qualify for the US Open Cup, you know, we're not getting slammed by USL two
1: or, or MPSL club. We're competing with them, you know? So that's the goal. That's that's interesting. Um I've never thought about uh when we've had our reserve team, it's all been in the summertime. we I've never thought about having a reserve team that played essentially in the off season to then yeah be more fit for tryouts for the next like yes and and part of i don't know i think some of the you know all the guys that are in college are playing in the fall and it creates a little and it creates a little bit of a headache it's interesting are you also the uh the president marketing guy technical director sporting director physio you are all things crescent city i mean i know you're building off the board but I am, right now you you have I to look am. at the footballing you have to look at yep. tickets you have to look at all of it yourself kind of yep. right now
2: yep yep graphic designer everything the only thing that i am not currently is the director of uh, community outreach that is the only thing that i am not at the moment <laughs> yeah it's so, it's, uh, it's unfortunate it's unfortunate for sure uh, and i know that you've you've dealt with this and a lot of club owners do um or a club you know presidents or gms and things like that. Is it's definitely at the end of the day, if the person that you've entrusted to do something doesn't get it done, it still falls on your lap. So at the end of the day, you're still making sure that it's getting done. So while there may be some people helping here and there, ultimately, it's it's still us overseeing it. Right? And that's sure. that's kind of the, I don't think a lot of people realize that that it, it usually falls on one person to keep things floating for a lot of these amateur clubs.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and it, and it does, there isn't enough money in it to, um, to really Pay more than some small stipends if you wanted to, it's, it's really a lot of these clubs. It's a passion project unless somebody has got silly money that they just want to get rid of. Um, Yeah, I'm sure you'd, you'd be willing to cash some of those checks. And so would I, if they, if those people are out there, but um, yeah, and that's that's the rat race, right? Because, you know, what we're trying to build that we've had this
2: discussion many times, you know, with Midwest and Premier League and GCPL is that we're trying to. We're trying to show that the regional model is as much better for clubs like ours for DeKalb and for Crescent City, because if we were to jump into USL two or NPSL, I mean, you know, we're, we're having to keep up with the Joneses is like what I like to call it. And it's, you know, you're out there all of a sudden having to create a 100,000 plus budget annually. Um, when really, I mean, you need to see if it works first because you don't have that type of cash personally to splash towards that. So, you know, creating a 30 to $60,000 budget is kind of where you would like to be comfortably. Um. And so that's why I kind of feel as though, you know, the rat races, we're trying to build some type of proof of concept for clubs to to look at us and say, well, damn, we should definitely look into building, you know, building our club there first before we look at the bigger picture. But, you know, I, I do feel as though that unfortunately there's a lot of, um, a lot of club owners and a lot of coaches that are so fixated on on path to pro um you know that whole i I very strongly dislike that whole rhetoric of path to pro because simply you know people look at it as like oh we're creating an organization that is going to create professional football players and and the end of the day it's like you're trying to create an organization that's going to be sustainable so it can stick around for quite some time so eventually yes it does become uh, an organization that does create professional football players i mean that's that's how i look at it i mean i think we're about 20 years behind uh or shall i say 20 years you know in the making of of that actually becoming something that you know crescent city could comfortably say you know like oh we are definitely a club where you're going to get your full professional you know experience here yeah while we'll be able to you know do some professional aspects to to make players feel like they're you know getting prepped and ready um to sit there and truly say that you're a club that's churning out professional players and doing so to where you're benefiting from it and in any monetary sense or things like that, I mean I just think a lot of these these clubs are are dreaming when it comes to that so again, the whole proof of concept with regional is like yeah, we're not going to sit here and say that we're path to pro even though we kind of are um, but I'd much rather clubs be focused on path to community, you know something about more sustainability, being you know growing those roots first before sitting there and saying
1: that you're you know you're churning out pro players. So one of the things too that I noticed on your website, and I I've kind of wondered why we haven't had this discussion more, all of us, is you refer to Crescent City as a minor league football club. Mm-hmm. Um and I've as much as we want to say non-league or elite amateur or whatever BS we come up with, um, the community that we serve in most cases understands what major league and minor league are. It's America. Yes. Whether we yep. like it or not, people understand minor league is a step below major league, right? So, yep. um, obviously, people get pissed about semi-pro and all this, like, it, it really doesn't matter. I say semi-pro in our community because people understand what that is. Right. If I say, hey, we're an amateur soccer team, that sounds like you're a rec soccer team. Yep. No, we're a... High level amateur soccer club in the American system that doesn't exist. It, does, it just doesn't. <laughs> right. like, so I'm not so fixated on what we call ourselves other than we should collectively pick a term that makes sense to the people we're trying to serve. Um, right. But I'm, I'm curious what your uh reasoning is on uh, minor league instead of semi pro or non league or whatever. Yeah.
2: It, it originally said semi professional um, because I was, you know, sold on the idea that we were a semi-pro. Um, but as I kind of got a chance to dive a little bit more into understanding how semi-professionals treated, and I always kind of look at, you know, places like England, um, how their system is set up, and the and Bundesliga in, in uh, Germany, um, I always kind of look and see how they have things set up. And it's funny because if you're saying semi-pro, you're basically saying that you're somewhat paying players. Somewhere, some, some way, shape, or form, you're paying players, or they're being, they're being taken care of. Some are, some aren't. And then I kind of started looking at the levels. You know, let's just say New England, for example. Now, you know, you can go into the National League, Vanarama National League, and people don't realize that. You know, that is the true National League, and those clubs are operating at a million-plus budget. You know, annually. Um, you know, you start moving on down the line, and, and you start to realize that man, semi-pro goes pretty far down, but these these clubs are these clubs are operating at a at a truly. Um, decent, you know, decent operating budget compared to what we are. And so for me, it was just like, well, man, uh, are we truly semi-professional? Are we truly treating this like we don't have our own grounds? We don't have our own training grounds. You know, when it comes to players, there's nobody on contract. You know, there's some type of little, you know, agreement that they sign at the beginning of each season. But there's no you know, long contract. I'm not paying any of these guys. Um, So really, truly, it isn't semi-professional. And then you kind of start thinking about the other words to use, like you said, non-league or elite amateur or whatever it is. It just doesn't really mean anything to, you know, people that aren't really that involved with soccer. Um, and so minor league just seemed to be um, the better terminology. And to be honest with you, I, I think I might have gotten it from you um, a long time ago when we had a chat because, yeah, you you were the one that kind of, you know, said that it really and it truly doesn't. And I think, and it's funny, I hear this from a, a few of the USL two owners, and and um, they kind of talk about like it really doesn't matter the you know the acronym league that you're in, NPSL, USL, this and that. They don't care. They just want to show up to a game and just be you know however you present the game to be and however it is on the field. They will they will make their you know their judgment their you know what they feel that that environment is for them. Um, so truly, it does not matter. It's just, you know, when you get people out there, that's the only thing is once you get them out there, now you got to show them what you're all about. And so um, minor league, major league, pro, whatever it is, I just didn't want to lie to anybody. We're minor league. So that's why I chose
1: that. So I'm looking at USL League 2 right now. It says it's a semi-professional developmental soccer league. Okay. Right. I don't know if it's semi-pro. I think think Des Moines...
2: Well, I think Des moines Menace. I mean, Des moines Menace. you know, you look at a club like that. There are some pro teams, if I'm not mistaken, because in in USL2's operation manual, they definitely talk about professional players and and length as if there are, you know, there are clubs within USL2 that are using professional players. Um, I mean, I would have to think that some of those clubs to be that good, to be that, you know, uh, uh, competitive on the field, Year in and year out, they have to be doing something. I don't know if it's paying players. I don't know if it's off. Like whatever it is, it's they're taking care of them in a sense to where they're getting some of these top guys. Um, I wouldn't say their whole
1: yeah. league is semi-professional. <laughs> no, and it's just it's just interesting. Again, it's it's all nomenclature. It means nothing, but true. Um, I agree with you, know, you. Yeah, but but it does mean something when all of us are fighting within our community, whatever that is. If it's five thousand or fifty thousand or a hundred thousand, right. We're trying to educate the marketplace on what this sport is and what level we play. And that it does matter. um, It does matter when you and I are out hustling, trying to to talk to a partner and explain what we are. And they've never been to a game and they don't know what the experience is like. It would be nice, is all I'm saying, if there was it was outlined. This is what you are based on. The league you're in, or whatever. Obviously, that's a USASA thing, which I want to get to anyway. So it's kind of a good segue. Um, yep. But um, real quick, GCPL, give me the overview again. Um, Summer league. How many clubs do you have? Uh, multiple divisions. Geography, a little bit. Um, give me that little rundown. Real yeah, quick
2: yeah, again. sure. So currently, I'll kind of just give you what 2023 is set up as. So currently, we have a West Conference, Central Conference, and East Conference for the men's GCPL division. Um, each division will have six teams. Uh, everybody will play 10 games and then from there, we'll take the top two into a 16 playoff. The top two uh, out of that ranking will host the semifinals. The other four will meet in the quarterfinals. Uh, and then everybody will meet in Foley, Alabama on July 29th, um, for a neutral site for the GCPL cup. Um, and then the women's side will have a West and East conference. The goal is to be at six clubs in each currently we're at 11. Um, and the same thing, they'll basically play all their 10 games and the top two will go into a semifinal. The final will be at, you know, uh, Foley, just like I said. Uh, and then we also have Gulf Coast League 2, which we're still trying to form out right, format right now. Gulf Coast League 2 is a very, you know, come into this regional model you know, the restrictions, you don't have to have a you know, facility with locker rooms. You don't have to do, you know, a few other things, but it's more so for them to start getting used to that that travel, the, you know, meeting some requirements and, and things like that and and take you know, we do require that they have a website and social media, so they have to be active on those things. Um, it's kind of more of a step into what the GCPL is. Um, so we'll probably have, hopefully this year, we'll have 10 clubs for that. So the top gcpl men's will be 18 the women 12 and then that will be 10 and then of course you know we're i think i've mentioned this before there's ambitions for the texas and oklahoma arkansas all that there's you know there's growth going on in those regions
1: as well yeah i think it's it's cool how the the seven regional premier leagues we've talked about this on our calls with the maps and how do we fill out the map so there's a regional option everywhere across the lower 48 um and i I think we've talked about even beyond that but um it's interesting now are you uh, i think you told me that you are involved with usasa now down in your region as far as the amateur cup a little bit yeah national national amateur cup yeah the region three representative um
2: which i missed the meeting last night because it said 8 p.m eastern and not central so (laughs) (laughs) no but it was it was just it was just a meeting to kind of talk about the the, like solidifying the format for this year. And it was, it's been kind of a, a, you know, a race to kind of get it done because it's been, you know, the committee was put together so late. I think, you know, uh, Fritz has done a really good job. Fritz Marth has done a really good job of, you know, at least getting 2023 solidified, done and off the ground. So we can have that tournament and then obviously put, put more emphasis on improving the 2024 um, national amateur cup. But this year, you know, I think Fritz has done a really good job
1: of, of getting it off the ground. So, so one of the things uh, to i know nick's probably sleeping but one of the things that we've talked about in many of our calls with the rest of the regional leagues was was the idea of the national champion and the allure of that to some clubs that want to see that national right. opportunity um what are your thoughts on the amateur cup filling that role sort of
2: yeah, no, I think I think we have the U.S. Open Cup, obviously, which includes everybody, and then National Amateur Cup, you know, I kind of look at it as like the FA Trophy um, competition that they have in, in England, um, you know, where it's just mostly the amateur semi-pro clubs, and the winner gets a chance to play at Wembley, you know, or the, the finalists get a chance to play at Wembley, which I think is a really cool um, thing for amateur and semi-pro players. So I think, you know, for the National Amateur Cup, we should be thinking along those lines. Of if we want this to be the prestigious Amateur Cup where we are involving everybody, you know, not just USASA members, but you know, we're involving everybody. Um, I think you know there is a lot of potential to make it really great. So I do feel as though that that should be the only national Amateur Cup that there is. You know, when it comes to a national league in the U.S., I, I think I've tooted, I've said this many times publicly. It's just very difficult to wrap my head around um, to sit there and, and ask a club from Seattle um, to go travel to Miami for a national. Amateur cup and then, you know, the following year, you could see that club from Seattle, you know, not existing anymore because they put forth $50,000. to gets away. the, you know, um, I'll, I'll start rambling on this. I'll, I'll stop there. But, you know, I do feel as though the national amateur cup is probably the one where we should be putting most of our emphasis on when it comes to an app, uh, a true national amateur
1: competition. That's inclusive of all amateur leagues all across the board. Yeah, that, that's my yeah, personal we, opinion. We get into some dirty um po- political discussions with you know <laughs> the usasa hosted event and then leagues that are not affiliated and right um it can it can get a little bit um a little bit muddy so yeah yeah sure. I, no i think uh, i love what you guys are doing on there um i think there's a lot of parallels with what we're trying to do and i certainly think the the more we collaborate as clubs and as leagues the better it's all going to get i don't know where we ever gain the actual political influence to make it better but um having people like you step up and join a committee and uh and by the time this comes out we'll have a new executive director of the usasa Um, so um we'll see what uh that leadership change looks like what kind of impact uh that person can have um but I, i think i think there's enough of us that are uh I would say young and energetic, my, my middle-aged and energetic that are uh, actually living the fight every day, I think, right. like we know what it takes to move the needle for the players and the clubs and the leagues, because, right. you know, like you, you're, you're doing, you have to listen to the players' feedback and the fans' feedback, and you as a club representative, you have that impact with your league. I think there's a lot of different things that we're trying to solve at the same time that I think the... Governing bodies would do well to, you know, offer us the um, chance to resources localize those Hard. things. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. And just the resources in general. I mean, that's
2: that's the biggest thing. Um, I, I just feel as though that you know we we are we're heading into a new. I've uh, um, been saying this for a few years now, but I mean the the landscape has changed of what amateur soccer is, and you know that that semi pro level is. Slowly but surely being created. Um, And, you know, there's a huge gap between Division three, the you know U.S. soccer's PLS Division three. And, you know, let's just say USL two is considered the the top of the amateur leagues. I mean, there's still a pretty big gap in between that. You know, there is no buffer, you know, teams that have to make that jump from USL two into, let's just say, USL one. I mean, they're still jumping through a lot of hoops and there's still a lot, there's a lot of thin ice that they have to walk on to get it done. Now, luckily USL is, is a great organization that, um, has a really good onboarding process and they, they do a, a lot of good work to kind of get those clubs prepped and ready. But, you know, that's, that's, that is the, the danger of, of not having a connected system is that, you know, it's a lot of trust, um, that you're going to be able to make that jump from amateur of what it is today to division three pro it's, it's a, it's a big jump. So, um, I agree with you on this, I think, you know, it would, it would be, it would be very, very great and beneficial overall for everybody. If, if those organizations that kind of sat in that, that power was open their
1: ears a little bit more and offered a little more resources for us to do our job. You know. Yeah, I think, I think we could do, we could do well to, to support from the bottom. Right. And, and it's got to a two way street yep. all the way through. So what is, you've got um, the sounds a little familiar you've got a lot of different things on your plate, right? You've got clubs, right. you've got, a, you're, you're actually building a roster. You're, you're doing graphic design all the way up to writing league operations manuals. Um, right. yep. Like what's, what's the, if you could get one thing done hundred percent in 23, what's like, what's the priority here? Um,
2: I mean, I, uh, the one thing that I would love to get done is that at the end of the GCPL season, everybody sends in their letter of intent to return next season that would be the the accomplishment for me and that's including crescent city football club you know um that would be a huge accomplishment to continue to kind of work towards that retention rate being as close to 100 as possible um because that's that's where i feel as though that's where the familiarity starts to come in with clubs knowing each other and working with each other and so it's, it's not They're not seeing each other as competitors anymore. They're seeing that they're in this race together. Yes, they're competitors on the field, but off the field they're, you know, they're all, you know, trying to help build this up as well. Um, I would probably say that would be the biggest accomplishment for me personally. Um, But let's just kind of separate and say for, you know, Crescent City, um, I would love to come out of the end of the season, you know, obviously operating in the black as close as possible um, and then have at least five plus you know, people that are just as dedicated as I am, you know, towards the mission and and doing doing their part to pull the weight. And I think that's that would be a very, very strong um statement to our growth is to
1: do to definitely grow in that in that direction for sure. Well the fact that your club has been around for as Crescent City, right? For seven doesn't mean yeah, seven, yeah, se- yeah, six, 2015, seven years. Yeah. Right. Um I mean that's that alone and survive a pandemic I mean that that certainly uh is a testament to your dedication especially if you're mostly the lone soldier there um I, I think there's lots to be uh, proud of and your ambition to get on these other committees and do all this other uh stuff I mean you're either yeah. insane or an angel or, or maybe have a, a lot little of time on my hands. <laughs>
2: <laughs> for sure yeah.
1: what's um Hello.
2: so let Remember me ask you a eight. question John if you don't mind oh, oh. Oh, Nick, go ahead. Quiet Nick, down.
0: No, Nick, We're talking. No, 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 your questions are
2: going to be better than mine. Go crickle. Um The tier system. Let, what, let's hear your thoughts on that. You have you been selected to be on this committee with USASA. Am I
1: correct? Yeah, so uh, 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 allegedly I have been added to the list for the task force to build out the uh, subsequent tiers other than tier one within USASA. Um, I have not been invited to a Zoom call yet. I have, nothing is scheduled. I followed up a couple of times over the last few months. Um, I did speak with the new executive director this morning and mentioned that as one of the things that kind of just went awry. And um, so as as, uh, that person's onboarding themselves a little bit, uh, I hope that's one of the items that we can start to check off. I, I don't I, – I truthfully don't have as big a problem with a tiered system as uh, maybe others do. I do have a problem with one tier. I, yeah, I think that sure. – yep. I don't mind playing in a system if it's a defined system because if I don't like it and the and the tiers are linked in some way, which I think is very doable, I think then we can – I think, as you're doing with GCPL two, you're creating a pathway to pro for a club, so you can start as a rec team and join someday GCPL four, right? And work your way up to full GCPL. So yep. I think that like having that structure is a is a fine thing. Uh, I think the way they did it was missing one or two sentences that said something like, "This is the beginning of of us." building a system to allow growth for clubs in more communities across the country. And we look forward to developing what that structure looks like. Like, I I think if they would have said that it would have helped, but the way the announcement came out was a, Hey, they're tier one, no mention of everyone else. It was just a, Yep. so I I think the PR on it was actually just the, the worst part of it. And I, I still am, even though I'm leaving my, post with the Midwest Premier League formally I I still hope to you know uh sort of champion that discussion because I'm okay with there being a, somebody else being tier 1 tier 2 tier 3 I don't care if we're tier 65 just show me what the path looks like right exactly
2: that's that's I think we've had this discussion many a times where it's just like just point me tell me where we need to be we'll go there but everybody else has to fall in line don't don't say we need to go there and then all of a sudden they're not going there you know and I think that's that's the biggest thing where I have you know just a little bit of beef of the tier system I, I get what they're trying to do I understand it I you know I'm, I'm 2M uh, a big fan of the tier system as I do feel as though that we need it um, but yeah the, the fact that it was done um, with no, no legwork done it was just it just seemed like it was something that was done it was a reactionary it was a reactionary press release to you know an organization leaving and another organization saying that they're creating X, Y, and Z, and so and then, I don't know. it's just it it didn't seem like it was for you know the the benefit of everybody. I think it was only the benefit for a few, and that's that's probably the biggest beef I had with that that announcement. But you know, having somebody like yourself on the on the task force, you know, I, I really have. Uh, feel a little more at ease knowing that hey we'll have a voice within the system and somebody that knows obviously what um the regional model you know what what benefit it brings to the overall um landscape of everything is you know that's a, a huge huge voice to have in that room for
1: sure so well, well we'll see if I ever get in the room and we'll see if I actually <laughs> have uh I, I can speak plenty but will I be heard <laughs> I don't know we'll just uh right We'll see, you know. I mean, I think that's it's an exciting time. That there's something, right? It's not just right. the status quo. And sometimes you gotta, I don't know. There's a slogan, right? You gotta shake a few trees or break a few knees or something. I don't know. But we're gonna cause some trouble <laughs> and make it better. We're gonna have to do something different, and, and not everybody's gonna like yep. every decision. So, yep, that's um, right. I do applaud them for at least trying something. I would like right. to see the next step of it, but um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I think it's a, an important thing that we. Remember, ultimately, what league you play in, aside from just being a good business partner, doesn't matter to your fans. It will matter to players in terms of recruitment, but you said it a half hour ago. It's about getting them to the match and making memories and taking pictures and bringing their neighbors back next week, regardless of what league you're in. All this politics, to be honest, just takes away from the what we should be focusing on. So that's why I'm not. I'm not throwing a fit that, Hey, we have to have meetings because ultimately it's going to take away from my club, my real job, my family, all that. Like, so it's fine. But um, I think we, we stick to giving our fans a good experience, giving our players the best experience we can and stay true to your own values and your mission within your club. And then let the rest of it just be noise. Well, that's, and that's grassroots football.
2: You know, that's, that to me is that is a definition of, of what we're trying to build is that, look, we're not going to be able to sit here and, and play in a stadium of 70,000 people, but can we create memories with at least, you know, 2,000 people um, that can sit there and say, oh, man, I had such a great time going out there. This I had a great time playing with them, uh, like whatever it may be, you know, it, it introduces them to the game and the spirit of it. Um, I think that is, you know, if that is if we are inclusive enough to allow each community to to build that without, you know, having this gatekeeping going on. Um you know I'll, I'll dive into this a little bit, but I think that that truly starts to unlock the potential to really start tapping into to more potential you know professional players and international players um, if we were to truly build those pillars. but I mean again, I think right now everything is so you know everybody's pulling in different directions, and you know the whole tier thing um, with USASA it just kind of to me missed the mark because it's you know they they're claiming that it's a tier one. But they're not putting out a plan to kind of talk about, well, how does that connect to the lowest bottom, you know, that there is so they can be involved with it. Otherwise, all it's doing is saying, oh, they're tier one. Well, we have to go to this league and the league is going to turn around and say, you're going to pay this premium for it. And then, I I mean, again, what is what is that really doing? You know, so, um, yeah, we just got to. Just keep going at it, you know. John, me, and you will be seeing each other quite a lot over the next couple of years, I'm sure. So, you know, get used to this beautiful mug. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, was like looking, it was like looking in a mirror. Yeah, exactly, for sure. Nick, you had a question for us.
0: I'm I'm still here, it's all right. I was just typing you guys a message. Um, be like, you know, back in the good old days of COVID, when we were all locked down, and um, people used to just sort of watch video casts all the time. We've oh, got an interloper. Um, it was like, it's like I just paid like $10 for, for you two just to talk at me for an hour. It was wonderful. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't want to derail it in any way, but one thing I was struck by from the two of you talking was there was an awful lot of talk about players, and you have just kind of pulled it back with talk about the the, the fans and you know the community and everything else. But... Um, John, you always say that the the club, the community, will dictate where the club pays right, plays, right? Whether that's MLS or down the road in Sycamore. But for all the talk of path to pathway to pro and whether we should be non league and what tier we should be and whatever else, no one seems to be thinking about how to just engage the community. If you if you can get ten thousand people into your into your community stadium, a good luck, but b. That has a knock-on effect on the next community down the road, and the next community down the road after that. That's, to me, that's a thing that so many clubs overlook. Like, by all means, try and create the next Lionel Messi and go and win the World Cup and crack on with that. But um, the the culture of being a soccer fan, of being a football family, of being of kids inheriting your club because their dad took them to the match when they were eight. That isn't here yet. And until that's here, because, and it's probably not here because the clubs weren't here, but until that's here, um, clubs are just going to come and go and die and re- be rebuilt and nothing, nothing's really going to change because the, the, the cream of the players will always rise to the top. You'll always get one or two world-class players and you'll always have the argument about whether they should play in this sport or that sport and all the youth coaching stuff. But you're not getting through to middle america who right. is going to keep the game alive
2: right and that's and that's the biggest thing is the the average sports fan and you know john we've had this discussion before the average sports fan and i'm not even saying the average soccer fan the average sports fan i mean they do not know anything about the sport when it comes to you know the details of it and and the intricacies and you know for them they're just looking for something that they can feel a part of um and so this these pathways of, of creating a grassroots organization that's more community driven and focusing on that first, well, that starts to intrigue the average sports fan to kind of start paying attention to it to where, you know, their kid is going with them to the games and the memory of that kid um, is going there with his father and his mom and, or his, you know, siblings and having a, you know, a great time. And so therefore he falls in love with the sport for other reasons, other than, you know, his mom or dad just paying a premium for him to play at a club. You know, he's falling in love with the sport for a completely different reason so therefore, when he does go to play and if he's truly passionate about it, it's a different mentality. And then let's talk about including, um, you know, communities that unfortunately can't pay a premium for their kids to, to play um, and how the community club can start enforcing some type of scholarship system or something to where they're getting involved. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time being a basketball kid growing up. You know, we, a group of friend of mine, a friend, a friend of mine in the early, you know, 90s, um, we we were the top suburban kids around, the, around. you know, Metairie is where I kind of grew up. And when it came to basketball, our age group, like we didn't really find any, inner, you know, any suburban kids that can kind of match us. So we kind of decided to go out into the parks and the city, completely different ball game. Those guys are playing the game for a completely different reason than we were. They were hungry. They were trying to get out of somewhere where we were just doing it for fun, for shits and giggles. Um, that passion that that is a completely different animal that you're that you're tapping into when you have a kid that is out there staying an hour after practice or an hour after playing with his friends and working on layups for the whole hour. That is that is somebody that is has a completely different mindset. So all of a sudden, you start tapping into that for soccer. You start having a kid, you know, sit there and say, I need to get out of this situation. I, I want my mom to have a better life or I want my family to have a better life. And I I have the ability to do that. I mean, that type of drive, that type of player, there's not many American players like that. And I think that is the biggest difference between us on the international stage with a lot of these other countries is that, you know, those guys grow up with the ball at their feet for different reasons than we do. And that is where the passion truly comes in. But they also have access to a lot of community clubs. They have access to... um. You know, you're talking about a lot of these clubs um, right now, you know, a kid can go play 7v7 or 6v6 for the first five years of their life before they get brought up to the next club, which is, you know, the 11v11, right? Like, it's just the, the list can go on of, you know, the, the accessibility of the sport outside of, of out of America uh, or the United States, shall I say. And that's that's where I think the community aspect truly comes in is because you're not you're not trying to tap into building professional players. You're tapping into simply start creating those a club that can truly tap into the most you know uh integral parts of the community and and using that to to elevate itself right and so i know i went on a rant there i apologize but yeah. that I'm, I'm with you nick 100 percent on that it is it is definitely that's where the passion needs to be for me Brilliant. there's a lot of problems to solve at the same Gentlemen,
0: time yeah, yeah for sure um one of the problems we have to solve now is childcare, i believe so uh, I, look, I'm happy to keep this going, but at least one of you, I believe, has a child that is currently walking the streets because his father has neglected him. So, yeah. um Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. I, I'm pretty sure we'll have you on again because I feel like we haven't even got one percent. I, I might just rebrand it as the John and John show and just, you know, record <laughs> it. So hey, I'd, it. I'd love to join. I'd love to join for sure. Me and John can well, talk I mean, all day. I, I hear you, but be given the, the pitfalls of trying to get you on this thing in the first place today. Um, I'm, I'm loathing to invite you back, really. Yeah, don't uh, lie thank to you. Up weekly. No, Jesus, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. It's been illuminating. Um, it's been nice just sitting here and listening to you two shout to the clouds, um, right. and uh, we hope to have you back someday. Thank you both hey, for your time. I appreciate it. Definitely. Definitely. Thanks, John. Thanks, guys, it's guys. Good to see you, man.